Bash. If you've ever played that game, maybe maybe you you know what I'm talking about. But in this game, it's really it's a unique game. It's one of, it's one of my favorites. So I don't play it very often. I don't I don't own it, and so I don't play it. And and it wouldn't work with our three kids anyway. It'd just be me and Nancy, and the game wouldn't work with two people. So the way the game works is this: you have what are called, uh, I guess, definition cards. And you have these, these, these words on a card that have a specific definition. These words are just random words that most people would not know the definition to. And so what you do is a person who is known as the dasher is going to write down the actual definition of the word on a piece of paper. And in a group, uh, probably best a number of five or six people, something like that, each person writes down a definition of the word. Now, they can try to get close to the word or just try to fool everybody else on what the word might be and write down some ridiculous definition that has no meaning whatsoever. And so everybody writes down what they think the definition is, and then all of them are collected, and the dasher, the person who is it that particular turn, will read each definition. And, and then a, a show of hands is taken to see which one they think, everybody agrees, is the right definition. And so uh, if they guess uh, the, the particular one or, or however they score certain points based upon if somebody guesses your incorrect definition or if you write down a definition that is actually accurate and gets toward the definition of the actual word. It's, it's interesting, the further the game goes along, especially if you have some unique personalities in your group playing, some of the definitions will, uh, will get pretty humorous uh, over time. And so uh, I was thinking about that as pertains to, to this particular series because the truth be told, if, if I were to play a game with you of Balderdash this morning, based upon the word success, we would probably have lots of different definitions. And the words that we, the definitions we would collect could be read and some would 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 seem well that makes sense and some would think well golly I never thought of success in those terms or or some would be typical and what whatever and yet as I began to study all of this I realized very quickly that the definition of success is hard to nail down it is it is confusing sometimes some of you have gotten to a stage of life not necessarily an age but a particular stage of life where you're you're less worried about success maybe than you were before some of us are in stages of life where success maybe is all you think about. Uh, and, and, and yet, what is it and how can we go about achieving it? And so as we look at this series over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of look from the theme that we're going to attempt as best we can to unveil some of the secrets of what ultimate success really is. Because the truth be told, it's not exactly what we think it is. Because in our country especially, we seem pretty successful. We, we, we seem very successful in our country. Look around, even in times of economic crisis, we still have more money than we know what to do with most of the time, as a whole. Now, we may find ourselves struggling from time to time financially, but typically, typically here in America, we have an abundance of what we need. And, and so we, we struggle, I think, to a certain extent, to define what true success is all about. Because even under the facade of friends and money and power and position and all these different things that you can achieve in life, there lies under that facade in many people a deep feeling of hopelessness, of a feeling of sort of I'm irrelevant, I don't really matter, what I do doesn't count, a deep feeling of uselessness, like, you know, I, I just, there's nothing really that I bring to the table that God or anybody else would think is valuable whatsoever. 
Uh, there's also, obviously, if you take that to its extreme, suicide rates have pretty well been stable for a long time. There's no huge increase, and there's no huge decrease in suicide rates either. And, and yet we, we find that somehow in our seemingly successful society, there's a huge amount of despair. Depression is rampant, and maybe you've experienced that, just these up-and-down times. And if you're honest, you probably have. And, and so as we look at what true success, what ultimate success is all about, we're going to look at the book of Joshua because that's kind of where, it, where at the very beginning the Lord lays out, here's how you can go about having ultimate success. And so I want you, if you've got your Bible, uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Joshua, which is over in the Old Testament. Uh, it's after the first five books, which are the books of the law, and then we get into Joshua, which is uh, sort of a, a, a transitional book, to be honest. It, it bridges the gap between uh, the promises of God and the laws that he lays down and the, the full, uh, I guess, uh, inhabitation, so to speak, of the land that God promised to the Israelites. So this kind of in-between book. And so if we look at it today, uh, look at, at starting in, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll get through verse, verse 9. Uh, this morning. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan into the land that I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand up against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as, I was, just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, I want to catch you up real briefly, and I'm not going to bore you with a, with a history lesson, but I want to catch up briefly on where we pick up the story. This book was, was written, most people think, somewhere, or said anyway, somewhere around 1400 B.C. Uh, it's after the 40 years of wilderness roaming that the Israelites did, if you know their history whatsoever. You know that they were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses was selected as the leader to go get them out of slavery. And they were to go to a land that God had promised them that was going to be more than they could ever imagine. And so God had some great things planned for them. And yet, on their way, which probably would have been about a two-week journey to get there, they made some mistakes, and God punished them for that and, and caused them to have to wander around in this desert for 40 years until all the people who had not believed God like He wanted them to were dead. And so this is where we pick it up. That whole generation is passed on, and Joshua now succeeds Moses as the leader of the Israelite people. Now Moses, of course, is known as the servant of the Lord, the Lord's servant, and Joshua is not called that yet, and so he's got some pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, it, it, um, Joshua's task, as it says in verse 6, check it out, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them, as an inheritance. So Moses led them up to where they were going to get their inheritance. Joshua's task is to now give them the inheritance that God wanted for them and to distribute all the land. And so over the next several chapters, 24 chapters, we'll see how Joshua will divide this land and fulfill the promise that God had given to him. The truth is, though, that Joshua really had no idea what was coming. Uh, he, he had huge shoes to fill. Uh, he had a tremendous task in front of him, and he had no idea what he was about to encounter. Uh, God had told him and given him some promises, and so he relied on those. But in essence, from a human standpoint, he really didn't know what he was going to face. And so with that in mind, I realize that, that many of you would say, well, you know, we're talking about an Old Testament story of people who are going to go take over some land. 
what on earth does that have to do with anything that I could possibly face in my life? Great question. Glad you asked that. I know you were thinking if you're awake. I know you were thinking that. And so I'll answer it for you. Here's the deal. The truth is that when we walk out of here today, none, none of us, none of us truly know what we're going to encounter. Now, I'm not talking about anything that could be earth-shattering or, or, or totally life-altering or horrible or anything, good, bad, or otherwise. We really don't know what we're going to face. This next year, 2009, you can look back, I guarantee you, if, if you make it to the end of this year, and Lord willing, we all will, I hope I do too, if we make it to the end of this year and we're still standing on our feet, we'll look back and see, you know, I never saw that coming. I mean, think about 2008. How many things happened in 2008 you just didn't see coming? I mean, just think about it just for a second, good, bad, or otherwise. Well, I just didn't see that coming. We had a lot of things in our life. We had a lot of things happened in our life. Just, oh, goodness, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see being here. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I am. Didn't see it happening. Didn't see it coming. Thought we'd be in Atlanta. It's where we were living. Just thought it would happen. But here we are. Didn't see it coming. It's great. Didn't see it coming. Some of you face some really, really tough times. Some of you lost loved ones. We have people in our body that I know being diagnosed with different diseases. You didn't see that coming. I mean, just where did that come from? And so if you, if you look back on your life, you know that looking ahead, you have no idea what you're looking toward. You really don't. Could be great. Might not be. And so in all of that, no one in their right mind would say, you know, for whatever's coming up, whether it's good or bad or, or, or whatever, whatever I'm going to deal with, I just want to fail completely. I just hope I fall flat on my face. I hope everybody looks at me and says, what a failure. Nobody in their right mind says that. Every person in this room who is sane would say, and I hope that includes most of you, every, every person in this room, I hope it includes me, I don't know. Every person in this room would say, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know if it's going to be great. I don't know if it's going to be challenging. I don't know what it's going to be. But you know what, I want to succeed in whatever it is that I'm going to face. And I don't care if I'm in high school, if I'm in middle school, if I'm in college, if I'm a young adult, if I've got children, if I've got grandchildren, great-grandchildren, if I'm young, old, or somewhere in between, it doesn't matter because I want to be successful. Whatever I face, I want to be successful in whatever it is. And so that's the ground that we stand on, sort of with Joshua today. He knew the task that God had given him. He kind of understood that a little bit. Okay, I'm going to distribute this land. But there are 24 chapters of stuff that he, he had no clue because it hadn't been written yet. He really didn't know what he was going to face. And yet God, in these verses that we'll see in just a second, God desires success for him. Joshua desires, desires success for him. And he's going to figure out from God how do you achieve success no matter what you face. And so if we can kind of agree today that from this launching point here, we're going to say no matter what we face, in our right minds, we desire to be successful in those things. So then questions arise, well, what is success? What does it look like? I mean, what does that even mean? And, and then secondly, how, how do I get there? Once I know what it means, what do, I, what do I do? And so the great news is this, that no matter what situation you face, no matter what's coming tomorrow or the rest of 2009 or the rest of your life, you can, based upon what we'll see today in the Word of God, you can be successful regardless of what happened in 2008 or 2007 or 30 years ago in your life. You can be successful from this point forward. And the great news, even greater than that, is that it really has nothing to do with you pulling yourself up and just being more positive and thinking a little bit differently about things. It really has not a whole lot to do about that 
at its foundation. We're going to figure that out today. So as we look at the remainder of these verses, understand that's sort of where we start from. Check it out again. Verse 6, we'll, we'll start there. Be strong and courageous. Here's his task. For you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I'm going to give you the... the the, the overall theme today that we're going to look at, and we're going to break it down and, and quickly show how we can get there. You'll see on the back of your bulletin, unfortunately, our, our computer is still giving us a few issues. We don't have it on the screen, but I, I didn't leave a lot of blanks there. Hopefully you can follow along if you so choose. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see that ultimate success, you see this at the very, very top, ultimate success, as we just read, is found in faithfulness and obedience to God's Word. Ultimate success is found in faithfulness and obedience to God's Word. Faithfulness and obedience to God's Word. Now, again, if we were to take that quiz earlier and say, well, what do you think is success? We would list a lot of different things. And I, I wonder, I wonder that just, what, my question, I guess, would be, would our default be faithfulness and obedience to God's Word? Would we define success ultimately as that? And, and here's the ground that I stand on when I, when I put that there in your bulletin for you to follow along with. The truth is this, that according to these verses, above all, verse 7, be strong and courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction so that you will have success wherever you go. The Bible doesn't really talk about how much money you make. The Bible doesn't talk about the degrees you earn. The Bible doesn't talk about the job that you have, the retirement you enjoy. The Bible doesn't talk about any of those things foundationally. Foundationally, what it talks about is be faithful to the Word of God so that you will have success. And so that's the ground I stand on, is simply the ground that God has laid for me to stand on, that based upon what God says, ultimate success is found only in faithfulness and obedience to God's Word. And so if we operate with that as being our theme, how then do we get there? How do we be faithful and obedient to God's Word? If that is ultimate success... And follow me for just a few minutes if you disagree. Maybe you think, well, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think that, yeah, that's, that's great. That's part of being successful is to do those things. But I'm not real sure. Follow me for just a second. How do we be obedient and faithful to God's Word? In these verses, we see it. Check it out in verse 7. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction or all of the law, some of your versions may say, my servant Moses commanded you. The, the first thing that we've got to do, if we're going to be faithful and obedient to God's Word, is to refuse when we don't pick and choose which parts to follow. We don't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like, and then say, well, you know, that, 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 okay, that's fine, I'll do that, but I'm not going to do this. Don't pick and choose which parts to follow. God makes it clear. Observe the whole instruction. Now, the truth is this, that some parts of what God's instructions are are harder than others. I mean, there are certain parts of the Bible we like more than others. Let's just be honest for just a second. I mean, I'm that way. I, 
I like more of the miracles and the stuff that God's going to do for me than I do the part where he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me and share in my sufferings. Now, I, you know, I, again, I, maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're way beyond me here, but I just, am I, am I not, typically, we just, you know what, I just want God to make things right. I just like it when he makes my path straight. I know exactly what to do. I like it when he takes care of everything, when I've got more than I need, and everything is great. I mean, those are the parts of the Bible that I, that I really like. And the parts of the Bible that sometimes I struggle with are the parts where Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross and, and, and leave everything behind and deny himself. Or you, you can't, well, hold on a second. And then, and then follow me. And, then, and you don't even really know where you're going. Just follow me. Those are the parts that make it a little bit tough. And I, I want to I, I help you understand that, that sometimes it's probably a challenge for us to follow the parts that are a little bit harder and yet we still want to believe and follow the parts that are really easy and that make us feel better about what's going on. And I, I think that, that when God is laying down this to Joshua, he knows that based upon Deuteronomy, which was the law and the, and the stuff that Moses had commanded, it would have probably been tempting at times for the Israelite people to say, well, you know, yeah, God said this, but, you know, that's kind of tough to do. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. I mean, this is easier. This makes us feel good. It's kind of this. God said this too, but, you know, that other stuff's kind of hard. I mean, think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The, the parts of, of the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve really liked were when God said, go and multiply. I'm sure they liked that. And then, and then God said, name all the animals. That had to be interesting. Where they come up with rhinoceros, you know, where they come up with that. And, you know, cat, I can see that. Rhinoceros, not so much. And so then, you know, and then the, just enjoying the garden, all the fruit of it, and just its beauty and so on. And then the one part, though, that, that was sort of the part that I don't know was the don't part. Don't eat of that tree. They struggled with that part because they felt like God was keeping them from something that they should have had. And if you know the story, that's what the serpent tempted Eve on. Well, God's kind of keeping you from what he doesn't want you really to know about. And so we've struggled with this from the very beginning of mankind, and we still today, we like the parts that are easy, and we struggle with the parts, and eh, it keeps us from doing this or that, because God maybe is holding out on us or whatever. And God is clear that instead of picking and choosing which parts of the Bible we will obey, which parts of God's instruction and his instruction to the Israelites here, don't pick and choose. Observe the whole instruction that you begin to get on the path of being faithful and obedient to God's Word, which then puts you on the path to ultimate success. So don't pick and choose which parts to follow. In James chapter 2, James makes it clear that if you're guilty of one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And so if we pick and choose which parts we're going to follow and yet stumble on something, and we've we're guilty of all of it. Secondly, don't pick and choose what, what parts will follow. And then ignore and avoid potential distractions. Ignore and avoid potential distractions. The end of verse 7 says this, Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. Of all the things that I think are probably in my life, and maybe if you're like me in any way, this is a struggle for you, this is probably the most difficult one for me to remain faithful to the Word of God. And it's this, because there are so many other forms of success that can be attained that they become distractions over and over and over again. Think about it. There is money to be made in America. You can make, really, if you put your mind to it, 
and couple that with your giftings and hard work and determination, you can pretty much achieve almost anything that you'd like to achieve when it comes to making money. The truth is that. If you worked all the time and you simply put your mind to doing it, you can make whatever you want to make. Degrees are available. You can go to school. You can go back to school. You can continue to go to school. And you can get degree after degree after degree. And there are other forms of success. There's freedom. I mean, think about it. If you're a person, if you're a working person right now, and you look at a retired person, you say, that's where I want to get to. I want to be, and I've, told, I've said this before, when I retire, I want to play golf every single day of the week. Every day. You know why? Because I don't get to play very much golf right now. That's pretty nice, huh? You know, I look at those people who get to do that, and I just think, man, if I can be as successful as that, that would, that would just that'd suit me just fine. They're, they're, those are some of the distractions, though, that come into my life, that sort of freedom, the stuff that you can have. We have our homes filled with stuff, the size of whatever it is that you can accumulate, the popularity and so on, the influence that you can have. Those things are easily measured and can can very quickly become distractions to what ultimate success is. One of the things that, that I like about sports is the fact that you know who won and you know who lost. And unless it's a goofy sport that allows ties, which I've never understood. I've played enough games in my life, I'd rather win or lose. Don't let me tie because there's no resolution. I just wasted my time. But when you can win or lose, it's easy to measure how much success you've had. Now, I realize that, that there are certain leagues and so on that don't keep score. They drive me nuts, okay? They drive me crazy. If, you, if, you, you know, if that's your deal, that's awesome. I know I've, I've, you know I just like to score, you know, whether you win or lose, just tell me. But the truth is this. When you're talking about ultimate success as God defines it, which is being faithful and obedient to God's Word, that's hard to measure. There's no scoreboard really for that. And so it's easy to say, well... You know, I don't really know what I'm aiming at. There's no real target here. How do I know if I've won or if I've lost in this? And so that becomes a distraction for me. Why? Because, well, you can measure how much money you got. You can measure what size house you live in. You can measure if you got several pieces of paper representing your degrees hanging on your wall. I mean, you can, you can measure whether or not you get to play golf every single day. You can measure if you've, you know, raised kids that, that you know, sort of seem to be okay a little bit. I mean, you can measure certain things that don't, Really, it sometimes makes it difficult to measure how faithful am I and obedient am I to God's Word. And yet, when God says don't turn from it to the right or to the left, He's talking about avoiding those other forms of success that can fly in your face. Now, here's the fine line. I talk about this today, and some of us will walk away thinking, well, He doesn't want us to make any money. He doesn't want us to get any degrees. I mean, what's He talking about? Is it just God really against all that stuff? No, I don't believe so. I don't believe God's against all that stuff. What I do believe is that God is for you ultimately finding your foundation and ultimate success in being faithful and obedient to God's Word. And anything else, then, is just an, an offspring of that. Does that make sense? You follow me just a little bit when I say that? Because I'm not down on people who have money. I'm not down on people who play golf every day. I'd love to be able to do that one day. I think it's awesome. But at the same time, if that's what we equate with success, then we're off base according to what God's Word says. Another potential distraction, obviously, is sin. And, and when, when God says don't turn from it to the right or to the left, He knows that if we turn right or turn left, we often find sin when we get away from God's Word. And so 
Sin obviously creates a distance between us and God. It does something to our relationship with Him. It keeps us from seeing Him as He wants to be seen or hearing from Him as we need to. And I think another potential distraction as we look to the right or to the left away from God's Word is ungodly advice. You, uh, you will not find many people who will understand your pursuit of being faithful to God's Word as your form of ultimate success. And I would venture to say that there are many Christians who would, would say, well, yeah, that's great, but you know, you've got to go and take care of yourself. or You've got to make sure that, that things are, are well taken care of. And I, I just wonder how many people would support your pursuit of God's Word and faithfulness to it as your form of success. There's, no, there's very few, rather, books and magazines, especially the secular nature, that promote going after something besides money or a degree or so on. I have tons of books in my office that are, that are written by people who will tell you how to be successful. <clears throat> Very few of them. Very few of them will point to the simple nature of success really is being faithful to God's Word. So don't pick and choose what you're going to follow. Ignore and avoid the potential distractions. And then thirdly, talk to yourself about it. Talk to This is an excuse to talk to yourself. How about that? Nobody will think you're crazy. We, you know, not, we, we may already, but nobody will now. Talk to yourself about it. Check it out in verse 8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. That, that, those, the use of those words there of, of it shall not depart from your mouth, that you will recite it, that, that has the connotation and the actual definition and the, the old Hebrew words of muttering. You're just kind of talking to yourself about it. You ever know somebody like that? You're not sure if you're supposed to answer or not. You don't know, you know, wh- who they're talking to exactly, and you know, and and maybe there's some, you know, maybe they got some, you know, voices in their head they talk to from time to time. You know, I accuse people of that from from every now and then. But you know, somebody that talks to themselves sometimes, you just think, what is wrong with them? What's going on? You know, but they've obviously got something on their mind that they're dealing with, and maybe that's their way of sort of reminding themselves about something. Maybe you know, I talk to myself sometimes in my office. Thank goodness nobody else is here during the day. I talk to myself every once in a while. And, you know, and I remind myself of things, and, and you know, I should have remembered that. But when we talk to ourselves about something, it's because it's on our mind and on our heart. The Bible makes it clear that if we will spend time in the Word of God, that if we'll memorize it, if we'll meditate on it, then it'll become something so a part of us that it'll be like we just talk to ourselves about it all day long. Think about it. If you spend time in something, if you realize that success, is, it takes hard work and some time. There's no such thing as an overnight success. That you, you spend time uh, both in your personal study and, and prayer life, and then here at church, obviously, maybe in Sunday school and different, different parts of the church that you're involved with. If you'll spend time with you'll memorize the Word of God. Psalm chapter 119 says that I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. There's something about memorizing the Word of God. It becomes powerful when you're able to recall a verse right when you need it. You ever been there? You ever, you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do and all of a sudden there's something that came to your mind of a verse maybe that you heard or a passage of Scripture, something God said to you, and He reminds you of that and He just gives you some strength in that particular moment or direction to know what to do. And the flip side is true as well. When you're in that situation you really don't know what to do and you got nothing, and you just think, oh, golly, there's, doesn't the Bible say something about this? Wouldn't it be great to already have memorized something about that? And that way you no longer have just informed opinions about things, but you stand on the truth of God's Word. And then to meditate on it, to recite it day and night, the Bible's talking about. One of the things that 
last week uh, challenged us to do was to pray through the book of Philippians. Maybe some of you did that. I found it very helpful to do that. As I would pray the Word of God, as I would meditate on it enough to where I would then think of it from God's perspective rather than mine. The truth is, when you meditate on God's Word, when you're talking to yourself about it, it keeps you grounded, even when you're, so to speak, on the road. I remember when I was in college and playing baseball here at Murray State, and we would go on the road to play different teams. And there were certain places we really didn't want to go. We just, I didn't like going to Ole Miss. Those people were relentless. And I'm thinking, you know, it, we're from the OVC. You're in the SEC. Just pick on somebody your own size. You know, I just, and yet, I think they just looked forward to the little schools coming to their place so they could just ride you out continuously. And that's what they did. They picked on us for our size, for any errors we made. We had, we had three guys that, well, I remember this, I was batting leadoff, we had a guy who was batting second and a guy who was batting ninth, and they were all my height or shorter. Okay, and I'm not a tall guy in any way. I've never claimed to be, I'm not going to be. And so there we were, the, the, the guy who's batting ninth is at the plate, I'm on deck, the guy who's batting number two is standing behind me, and you can almost feel it in the crowd that something's about to be said. Now, I want you to understand, when they say stuff, everybody hears it. They just yell at you, okay? You're on the road, you got no protection, nothing at all, and people just start yelling. And then one guy, you, like I said, you can just feel it. They're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, there's three little bitty guys standing right there. we got to say something about that. And so one guy shouts, he said, what, is height overrated on this team? What's going on? You know, he, he, wanted, you know, he, he wanted to get honest a little bit. I've been on the road before. It's tough sometimes. Being on the road for you as a Christian may be when you leave here. Because when we're at home, man, it seems easy. We're around our friends that we know we can shake a hand and be encouraged and smile and things are okay. Or maybe it's around your family or when things are going well. But when you face a little adversity, when you go to Ole Miss, when you face somebody who's not exactly understanding of who you are, when you face a situation that gives you a hard time, what's going to be your foundation? What's going to be your form of success in that? Will it be coming back to God's Word and doing what you know to do? Or will you flounder because you have nothing inside of you? You're not talking to yourself about God's Word. It's not such a part of you that it just ruminates from somewhere inside of you and you just recall all sorts of Scripture that help you out in a particular situation. I tell you, there's something powerful about being able to do that because most of your life will be spent on the road. Most of your life, you spend about one hour a week here. Maybe you spend another hour around some other people who encourage you as a Christian. Maybe you spend another hour reading the Bible from time to time. I don't know what it is, but most of your life will be spent, so to speak, on the road. In foreign territory, around people and situations that don't get who you are in Jesus Christ. And you had better, and I had better, be grounded on the Word, or I will fail over and over and over again. Because if that's not what I'm talking to myself about, if that's not what I can recall at a moment's notice, then I'm in trouble. And so talk to yourself about it. And then finally, refuse to settle for less than ultimate success. You may say, well, how is that measured? I mean, what am I even looking for? And Jesus laid it out when He said that the two greatest commandments are love God with all that you are. Do you have an increasing love and devotion for God? And then to love others like you would love yourself. Jesus went so far to say love your enemies as well. How you doing? 
How's the scoreboard there? Paul in Galatians chapter 5 lists out the fruit of the Spirit. Is your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is that increasing? Do you find yourself more patient, more loving, more joyful, more self-controlled, more faithful to what you've promised? That's the scoreboard. 2 Peter chapter 1 is a great one, and it talks about adding to your love kindness and faithfulness and so on, reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. So how is it measured? It's measured by those intangible things of us growing closer to God and then it being seen in the fruit of our lives. The the truth is there's a choice to be made between these two competing systems because how you define success really matters. Jesus himself said, right after he calls the disciples to deny themselves and take up their cross, he says, what good will it do you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What good will it do you to gain all the success that the world has to offer, the money, the degrees, all the things, the perfect job, the right marriage, raising kids the right way? What good will it do you to gain all that stuff and yet one day stand before God with nothing because you didn't commit your life to Him? Jesus Himself said that. It's interesting, different writers that that I've come across. One is C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, and he says this, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and has no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I put it to you today to to suggest that I, I think that we are probably, as humans far too easily pleased with the success that this world has to offer. With the money, with the prestige, with the jobs, with the careers, with whatever it may be in your life, we are far too easily pleased with those things when God offers ultimate success far beyond what we can think or imagine. Think about your life. There's no doubt that in each of our lives that The way we live and what we do already proves what we think success is. Your pursuits, what consumes you, what's always on your mind, what you are going after, what is is non-negotiable for you, so to speak, that proves what you believe success is. For some of you, you've reached a point in your life where you say, you know what, I... I don't want success in anything but just being faithful to God's Word, and I don't care what else it means. That's what I'm going to base my life on. And your life proves that. Because you've allowed those other desires to kind of fade in the background. Yeah, they're, they're important and they're real, but at the same time, nothing gets in your way of knowing Jesus better. And then there are others whose lives prove that success for us really is how much we can make. 
what size house we live in, what sort of job we can have, how good our kids are at a particular sport, what we can accomplish, what we can do, how many degrees we can have, how much land we own, how many good things we can do. And the truth is, if that's the case, then you are far too easily pleased. There's nothing inherently wrong with all that stuff, but if that's what is pleasing you, then God makes it clear there's something more. Today, there are probably folks here who think that you'll never really be successful. The truth is, if you define success the way God does, then it's attainable for anybody. Anybody can be faithful and obedient to God's Word if you will simply follow all of it. If you'll ignore those distractions, if you'll make it such a part of you that you talk to yourself about it, if you refuse to settle for anything less, you can be successful in God's eyes. And when it's all said and done, His eyes are the only ones that matter. Maybe you're here today and you think, you know, I've already had some success. I want to give you a little perspective that the success that you can achieve in this world pales in comparison to the success of being faithful and obedient to God's Word. Some of us have fallen into the trap of taking credit for our own success. The caution there is that God Himself said that He is the one who gives you the ability to work and do whatever it is to do to make money. He's the one who's responsible for what you have. And some of us don't know where to start. And maybe today you say, I just want to redefine success. And that's where I'll start. And I'll begin to pursue that before I pursue the other things. There has to be a difference between our pursuits as Christians and those of everybody else. There has to be a difference. Because if not, then there is no difference in how we live. And if there's no difference in how we live, how much difference is there then in our hearts? There has to be a difference. So will you do what it takes to achieve ultimate success, which is to leave those other things behind and pursue God and God alone? And allow Him to fill your life then with those other things. I have to be honest with you, one of the things that, <clears throat> that as a pastor is very tempting for me, very, uh, I suppose what Satan would like to use on me, is what does church success look like? What does it look like to have a successful church? Again, my office is filled with books about what it means to be successful. Many of those... Not about the business world, but about the church world. And most of those are written by pastors of churches that have thousands upon thousands of people who attend in a given weekend. They've written several books. They're well respected. They're the guys who speak at all the conferences. Maybe in your world you have people like that. Maybe it's not the exact same thing, but you know who's influential. And it's typically in the church world those people and those pastors who are at huge churches. So what will success look like for us? There aren't thousands and thousands upon thousands of people even in the city of Murray. What will we define as success? If we define success in the church as anything more, anything more than God's presence here, and being faithful and obedient to God's Word as a church, then we have missed the ball completely. Am I against big churches? No. 
nothing against them. Am I against small churches? No. What am I for? I'm for being faithful and obedient to God's Word. God has taught me a lot through studying just this particular week on what does it mean to be successful in my own life and in my professional life, so to speak, in the life of this church. What will we base success on as we move forward? The Bible doesn't mention anything about numbers, money, size. The Bible mentions an awful lot, though, about obedience and faithfulness and doing what God has called us to do. In just a moment, we'll take together the Lord's Supper as a church. Before we do that, I I, I copied down and have a copy now in my hands of our church covenant, which is on the wall behind you. Some of you probably have never seen that. It's okay. It's on the wall behind you. I understand. All right? Some of you know it's there. Probably don't know what it says. Maybe some of you actually helped to put that thing on the wall and you know, and you know what it says. I just want to remind us of what our church covenant, what we agreed however long ago, and when we join this body, when we come together, what we agree that we're going to do, and here's what success looks like for our church. And as we take in just a moment the Lord's Supper, I want us to keep in mind that this is what we're aiming at. This is what we're shooting for. It says this, Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into a covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully. I plan to stop there just to see what you do. Uh, and regularly. See, some of you think I'm real serious with that. To contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, to be zealous in our efforts to advance, that's on the wall actually, to, to uh, be zealous in our efforts and to advance the kingdom of, of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. As we take the Lord's Supper today, my prayer for us both as individuals and as a church, is that we will realize what ultimate success really is. That as an individual, that success for you is not defined by what some book or some magazine, some expert says success is, or what the industry standard is, or what everybody else around you is accomplishing. That's not success. Success, according to God's Word, is being faithful and obedient to what He says. 
You do that, you're successful. End of story. For us as a church, success is not defined by any church down the street who may or may not do certain things. By any church across the country who has more or less people than we have, who has a greater preacher than we have, and they probably do. By anything that they can bring in, any amount of money they have, it's not determined by anything outside of us. It's determined only by being faithful and obedient to what God's Word has called us to do. We do that. We do that. We won't have to worry about anything else because God will add to this church who He wants. And we will find ourselves successful based only on His presence and our being faithful and obedient to His Word. A church covenant says nothing about numbers. It says nothing about how much money we bring in each week. It says a whole lot, though, about being faithful and being obedient. And so maybe for you today, you say, you know what? For me, success has always been elusive. I've never been able to get my hands around it or achieve it. You can achieve it based upon the Word of God. If you're already successful, line yourself up with this so that those successes in God's eyes can be legitimate and blessed by Him. If you've fallen into the trap of taking credit for your successes, ask the Lord to forgive you and confess to Him that you're nothing without Him. And I am nothing without Him. And follow Him with all that you are. If you don't know where to start, start here with a redefined success. Our men will come in just a moment and we'll distribute the Lord's Supper. Jan will play over that. And as we receive that, I'd like for you to hold on to the small cracker that you get and I will... Read a scripture and say a prayer, and then we'll take that together, and we'll do the same with a cup of juice. So if you would, hang out with us for just a few minutes more, and then we'll close together in a song in just a moment. Guys, if you would, come on down and let's hand that out.